Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. In this episode, I'm talking to Holly Williams about her debut historical novel, What Time Is Love? Holly is an author, journalist and critic. A former staff writer and arts editor for The Independent, her work has appeared in several publications, including The New York Times, The Observer and The FT. In this episode, we discuss what it was like writing about the same couple falling in love in three different time periods, interviewing real people to research recent history, and embracing the long process of rewrites and editing. But first, here's Holly with an excerpt from What Time Is Love. Letty felt herself drawn outside. The rain had left tiny jewels across the lawn's jade surface, glinting in the sun that had obligingly come out to dry it before the guests arrived for the party. The light slanted through the late afternoon, picking out the curves of the daylilies, the velvety peeling back of rose petals. Letty thought she could smell their scent in trails floating past her on the wet, warm air. The rainwater crept up the toes of her low-heeled best navy shoes. Letty breathed in the possibility of the evening to come. Hello. A start, a twist, and Letty had the exact sensation of being in a lift. A rush but a drop, at the ground vanishing beneath you even though you remained still on the spot. For there was Bertie, in a blue blazer and cream trousers and an open shirt. Something about the small triangle of exposed flesh made Letty forget what to do with her hands. She did a funny sort of bob, cringe inwardly, then put them behind her back. Hello, thanks very much for inviting me. Well, for Rose inviting, I mean, it's very pretty here. How was your journey? Bertie said. A small, cartwheeling, furry animal appeared to have taken up residence at the base of his esophagus. It had taken Rose running upstairs, banging on his door and hissing at him to get outside and entertain her. She's all by herself to finally make Bertie leave his room. Oh, yes, fine, said Letty. It had been long and cramped in third, actually. She brought tenderest the night to read, but somehow most of the journey had passed in looking out the window and thinking about how she'd have clever conversations with Bertie about it rather than actually reading it. Ah, good, he said. Long way. Yes, rather. Rather? That's not something you say, Letty thought. And is the room to your comfort? Oh, yes, it's got a terrific bath. Bertie went red, which made Letty colour too. He had to... He had very little experience with women, but after the easy, teasing conversation with Letty in the pub earlier that year, he'd thought about her all summer term, as he'd cycled along the canal in Oxford, ate in the long hall, and certainly as he put his head down on his badly sprung single bed. Once Rose had confirmed Letty was coming to the party, his days were spent largely imagining their continued verbiage. In his head, he had been considerably wittier than this. Hi Holly and thank you for joining me on the podcast today to discuss your debut novel What Time Is Love. Hi Chloe. So could you kick us off by describing the plot of your novel please? Sure so What Time Is Love um, is a novel in three parts and it uh, takes one couple uh, Violet and Albert and sort of gives them three shots uh, at making a relationship work in three different time periods. Um, so when they meet, they're always 20, uh, but in the first section, they meet in 1947, and then in the second section, 1967, and the third section, 1987. Um, and so in each time period, you sort of see how things, um, you know, in the wider society affect how their relationship goes, and also 
how differences between them kind of play out um, in terms of like class and gender and politics and opportunity. Um, so yeah, it's sort of uh, a, a look at how external circumstances um, can affect uh, love and also just a chance to get to watch one couple have three different shots of it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that it was partly inspired by your parents story about how they fell in love and it's such a unique concept for a novel so can you describe kind of how the idea came to you mm. yeah there was there was a few different bits of inspiration really that kind of all came together in this structure um so in terms of my parents they met at university in um the late 60s and um they they have quite different sort of class backgrounds although nowhere near as extreme I should say as my characters um but my mum was the first person in her family to go to university and she was from a sort of working class uh background in Liverpool and I guess she probably wouldn't have gone to university if it hadn't been for kind of government grants and you know free higher education um whereas my dad was yeah, a bit, bit more comfortably off from the south um, and I think so probably always would have gone to uni uh, so that kind of moment of like social mobility um, of the late 60s I guess was what brought them together and it's just that weird thought of like I would not exist if um, you know it hadn't been government policy that people should yeah. be able to have a grant you know <laughs> Uh, wild or if they've been you know just a few years older maybe that wouldn't have happened so that was that was one thing another inspiration similar to that was that my grandmother um on my mum's side who who yeah was from Liverpool went to London during the war to work there and again she probably wouldn't have traveled to London if it hadn't been for the war and you know she always had like great stories about um what an exciting as well as obviously difficult time that was um so I was kind of interested in these moments in history or in time or in the 20th century where you know movement was happening or things were bringing unlikely people together that felt like quite an exciting thing to put in a novel um but I think probably the very first inspiration for it was actually just daydreaming about my uh, my own life <laughs> um and that sort of thought that I'm sure many many of us have had of like what would my relationships have been like if uh, we'd lived in a different time and sort of thinking you know, God, if I'd met, uh, you know, my first boyfriend in the 40s, we probably would have got married and had kids. And how weird is that? Um, yeah. And so and then, and then beginning to think particularly about that kind of opportunities for women in particular and, and what that might mean um, across different periods in the 20th century and, and how, you know, um, expected it would have been for you to have get married and have kids quite young um, and how that might have affected your romantic relationships. Um, you know, another another thing was my grandmother was um, wanted to go back to work in the post office after her kids were all at school and her partner, I think your know, husband wasn't too keen on this idea because, you know, he was the breadwinner or whatever. Um, and that just sort of blew my mind, the thought that you could be in a really happy, loving, I think they had a really great relationship, really respected each other, had lots of fun, but also only one of you could have a job. Very weird to try and fall in love with a man in an era when there wasn't kind of gender equality. Um, and obviously the characters don't really get there in the novel because we haven't really got there yet. So um, that mm. kind of continues to be a theme in each part, um, albeit really, really changing as the 20th century goes on. Was there ever a point then when you thought you were going to tell a kind of more 
straightforward story or a, a family saga where you could explore all these different eras? Or did you kind of set out to do something quite innovative? I think for me, the idea of putting the same people in different periods was the really fun bit. It's really, really enjoyable to get to know your characters super well and then see how they react in different time periods. And yeah, it is a bit of a sort of speculative, like it's not it's not really sci-fi, but it is that kind of um, um, non-realist, I suppose, isn't it? To put the same people in different eras. But that was that was kind of what was, I think, uh, I think was really fun for me and I guess it's a kind of a very clear way of also going like um society and politics and gender expectations and class differences and stuff like this is the stuff that we're given and then there's also the sort of stuff you have interior inside you and how do those two things interact so you know that Violet and Albert always have this incredible attraction but whether that will really work is not always um you know to do with with them it can be the external circumstances and again I feel like who hasn't felt that in a romantic relationship or even a friendship that you know oh if only if only timing had been different or you know if only the world had been different maybe this this love could have flourished <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean it, your novel really explores that idea that we're shaped by the time we live in and particularly relationships. We're a product of that time. The roles that you've mentioned, the gender roles, how we work is so shaped by the time. And it's such an ambitious novel because you're, not only do you have to understand your characters so well that you'll know how they're gonna to react to all these different situations, you've got to know a lot about history to cover these three different <laughs> time periods and not just in a um, kind of, shallow way you've really got to know them because your characters have quite in-depth discussions about what's going on politically and socially so how did you go about kind of researching these periods and and giving us the flavor of the time but also these bigger moments in history mm. yeah there was there was a lot of research I think the way I like to research is to have enough that I can write without having to stop every few minutes mm. like to be in the world of it and feel like fairly confident um but not to do an overwhelming amount so that I'm kind of bogged down in it like I usually I like do a bit I'm like I know it's going to be I don't know at a university in the 60s well I have some sense of what that was was like but maybe do a bit of research then write the scene and then kind of notes like oh, we need to go back and check that or it might be something like I might jump out to check if a if a single's been released that year yeah. you know but I wouldn't jump out to be like um oh I don't know um what did students think about that government that might be something I go back later and, and like talk to some people about um so yeah it did mean that sometimes I would write things that I'd then be like no oh, I've got to completely change this um and you know because each section has chapters within it that are also jumping forwards in time so you get several years of the relationship in each section occasionally you know in the editing process it'd be like oh we need a new extra chapter here or a bit more there and then you'd be like oh my god that's going to change everything and then you'd be like oh there's a different prime minister in power now that whole <laughs> conversation has to be cut what we're going to have instead what books just come out things like that but um yeah, like I also I think my approach to um, research sort of relates to how I like to read things. Like it's nice to have the. I feel like you just want. I can't remember who said this, but I remember hearing a writer once that sort of saying that you just want to basically trust 
the author mm. like if they give you a few details or you feel like you're on solid ground then you're not going to worry about every tiny tiny little thing but as soon as something's wrong and takes you out of it then you don't believe the world at all so it's about just having enough in there that you felt hopefully the reader feels secure and it feels authentic um but that also you don't feel like oh I can see the research they've done this like yeah. list of cultural signifiers going past my face <laughs> 100 miles an hour um and a lot of that was about like I did do some interviews with people um who maybe had like some lived experience at the times I was writing about I did lots of reading lots of watching of documentaries and listening to podcasts and radio programs um newspapers obviously a great source um, and then I got quite a few people to read specific bits and kind of had a chat with them or even just like I would have a list of questions. And then, you know, I talked to a friend of my parents who lived in San Francisco in the 70s. And I was just like, um, what sort of food are we eating? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And again, it was like it wouldn't have occurred to me that I don't know, the the pizza joint was the place they go and drink beer or something and like mm -hmm. I can't remember if that went into it or not but like sometimes just trying to get those few details that if you know they're correct that's great and if you don't know you'll go with it and feel yeah. secure <laughs> and I and I think stuff like that is stuff that is so hard to google you know so it's 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 really specific things and I, and your characters are particularly as the, the the later two sections in time are very politically engaged and mm. um we see violet kind of go down the journalism route so you've got to be spot on with their opinions and their thoughts about about what's happening in the country yeah and and you know i mean i I'm interested in that side of it. It was uh, it was fascinating to me to learn a bit more about it and probably most things that are in there are things that like you know I have an interest in left-wing politics or you know I thought the um some of the stuff in the sort of 80s 90s section um you know obviously it isn't things that I had lived experience of but I could vaguely remember from when I was young being like fascinated at the idea of people on road protests living up trees and stuff so it's things that maybe were in there and you're like oh I think that could be really fertile and interesting and then it's just like it's just fascinating to do that to do that research um yeah so hopefully it, it, it rings true enough to people um certainly I've had some nice feedback from people who've read it um since who've been like oh yeah very recognizable which is a massive relief you don't want you don't want the nick pick, nick picker saying you've, you've got certain facts wrong or yeah. anything like that but I think uh I've, when I've spoken to a lot of people who write historical fiction they kind of say you have to work with the assumption that you've got something wrong and it just you know put down just put down your pen and say it's fiction and that's the end of it yeah at the I like in um oh I think I was doing a, a playlist or something after it was published and I was like oh god no there's something wrong with the timeline that song wasn't out yet and I was like oh devastated and then like my partner was like nobody else is going to notice this don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> but it is like yeah you, yeah <laughs> do a lot of checking and then you mm. still get there'll still always be a, a human mistake and especially with something like this which had multiple time periods and multiple jumps within mm. each of those time periods like yeah I'm sure I'm sure there were readers out there going like no you've got loads wrong <laughs> <laughs> well I, I didn't notice so I was, I was happy <laughs> I was happy to, to go along with you um I wanted to talk about another thing that I thought was really unique about your novel and that's something that actually 
probably in a lot of writing courses would be a big no-no and that is your point of view and your kind of head hopping as it were so we switch and you do it really kind of playfully between Albert and Violet's point of view sometimes the next paragraph can be from the opposite point of view so I wonder whether you could talk about why you decided to do it that way Mm. I mean I guess the obvious reason is that you know it's it's a romance they wanted both both sides of it I I think to be honest I guess that's the big reason for why to have both perspectives but yeah obviously you could do that section by section or chapter by chapter and I I don't do that it does I think most sections have both of them in although there might be one or two that is just just a solo perspective particularly when they get more isolated or they're drawing apart from each other then they tend to you tend to flop in and out of (laughs) each other's perspective a bit less which I guess is a useful writer's tool to kind of show that they're drawing apart I think the honest truth is that I didn't give that much thought to it before I started writing and it just happened quite naturally in fact I think in the first drafts um so before I worked on it with my editor at Orion um it was probably going back and forth a lot more uh, and there was probably more jumping back and forth within time within the sections as well, like going back into memories that would then lead you back into another memory and then jump back into the present. Um, and I honestly, I just feel like that is, uh, that's just what came, came out. Mm. I guess it, yeah, it is quite fun and it is quite playful. It does allow you to allow um, to sort of contrast there perspectives and particularly I think in the early stages when they meet when there's quite a lot of that really agonized when you're first fancying someone you don't sure not sure if they like you and you keep saying stupid things and putting your foot in it and mm. wanting to die and the, um, the contrast of one person being like oh my god I'm such an idiot and the other person being like oh they're so amazing <laughs> yeah exactly That's right <laughs> um yeah I guess also you know um I quite like writers who do that like I did my obviously I'm in no way comparing myself but I did my master's um on Virginia Woolf and she is like you know the genius and master and pioneer of swooping in and out of people's heads and in and out of their memories in like just the most I think stunning and astonishing way um so perhaps like you know I don't that was definitely not a conscious thought but it would be um I guess like it's it's present in some of my absolute favorite writing so I guess perhaps that's that's why it's uh kind of just quite naturally cropped up like that yeah I'm interested that you would um that that's a no-no in creative writing courses yeah I think I think it's because people do it um by accident and they don't realize they're doing it so it's not done with it's not done with intent and you know it's not done because they're trying to do it properly or they're even attempting to do it well I think it's that not knowing if you're telling a story from a third person perspective yeah knowing how to do it I think um and I've certainly um done courses and things where people have done it and not realized they're even doing it so yeah I think it's it's quite a it's quite a difficult thing to do well yeah I would also say that in the first draft or, or the draft that sold um there were few other characters whose perspectives we sometimes zoomed into which was quite nice to have an outsider perspective on the couple um but yeah my editor was like it's just too much and I was quite resistant to that note at first and then as soon as I took it out I was like it's right <laughs> it just, 
like also it was far too long so it needed some places to be chopped and that was a good a good cut but um but yeah I think for the clarity of um yeah not feeling like like keep yeah as you say keeping control mm-hmm. of that um it was probably useful not to be going into anybody else's heads <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So your structure I wanted to speak about as well. Did it ever occur to you to kind of go between times? Because the novel is structured in that kind of section one is... The, they're born in the uh their living story through the 40s section two is the 60s section three is the the 80s 90s did it ever occur to you to kind of switch between or was it always structured in that way it was always structured in that way I think because within each of those sections you've got maybe like I don't know 10 or something chapters and in each of those there's a jump and I just thought it's actually asking quite a lot of the reader um chapter by chapter to be like oh it's it's three years later it's a year later or six Mm -hmm. months later and and not wanting to overly have to be hitting them over the head with like this is the time and this is what's happened (laughs) and I sort of thought that if um if I was jumping between eras and different versions it might simply be too much for anyone to hold in their head um interestingly there's been there's been like quite a lot of interest from sort of film and TV for adapting this book, but nobody has, uh, I think it's okay to say at the moment, no one has yet committed or bitten um, because I think of this, that the idea of doing it in a visual medium, you would maybe want to overlap the three stories mm-hmm. um, rather than having it in sequence. I mean, I think it could work in sequence, but people's urge is to, is to do that. And then I think when you actually break it down, it's those, sort of jumps you know if each if each part was one week in the life in 40s 60s and 80s then you'd intertwine them and that'd be fine but I think because there's jumps within three jumps it actually becomes a bit of a head scratcher mm. um but you know I'm sure there are ways it could be done if there's anyone listening <laughs> <laughs> well actually it's interesting you say that because um I don't know whether you've seen the Apple TV version of Pachinko and that the novel is told chronologically, but in the TV series, they splice kind of different eras together in the same episode because mm-hmm. they explore kind of per episode a similar, a similar theme throughout the mm-hmm. different eras. So I can see why it's kind of appealing to chop it up. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that. So one thing you do have to do three times in this novel is do the kind of falling in love bit and the attraction between your characters. And I imagine it's quite hard to create that chemistry three times in three different ways <laughs> so how how was that to write to kind of come up with these three different moments where they they meet and fall in love I mean I loved it I just think, <laughs> <laughs> like because you don't have 
that well I don't have that many of those moments in my life but they are like obviously memorable and exciting moments and you know I think writers often talk about you know reaccessing those memories or emotions and it's just a lovely thing to be in and try to remember how overwhelming and exciting and thrilling and whatever it, it can be um so and I think trying to get like visceral excitement and and nerves and joy on the page is like for me it's just a really it's a really fun thing to write I think um with this book partly when I was like sort of thinking it through and planning it out I did just really want to write a book that I was going to massively enjoy being in and having people falling in love three times I think definitely does that um yeah it was it was to be honest it was it was really enjoyable to write um I think the concern was as with lots of things in this book not simply to be repeating yourself mm-hmm. um and to be quite careful with like you know you want you want there to be echoes and things that are, you know are in common across the three parts but not to feel like it's sort of oh, here we go again you know yeah. <laughs> to still have the fireworks but um maybe make them come at a slightly different point or um in very different I mean they are very different circumstances by the time you go from the 40s to the 80s so I think that contrast of like you know a garden party in part one or a rave in part three helps kind of keep it fresh hopefully Mm. yeah I mean I think it was fun for me as a reader to wonder how they were going to meet and what what their lives were going to be having kind of been with them in the first version and and wondering what it was going to be like for the next two I think that's a I imagine a fun a fun thing for the reader but a fun thing for you as well yeah it was really fun it was really nice to know your characters well and also to work out what is essential in them what is their personality um as opposed to what is their circumstances so I did feel like by the end I could put those two people in any situation and I would know how yeah react and that was yeah it was really it was really nice I was going to ask you actually had you had you got a a version in your head for them being born in 1987 because of course that would have been the next jump uh, yeah that um a few people have been like oh I wanted the next one I feel like it would have just could have just got really out of hand it's <laughs> 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 huge book that never ended um that would have been fun though because then they would have my maths it's very bad it would be the recession they would be meeting just before yeah yeah and they'd be um they'd be almost my age so they would have been at uni at the same time I can definitely see Violet um as a little indie kid going to the going to the disc going to the indie disco <laughs> wearing her ballet pumps and skinny jeans for sure. yeah like with an emo fringe <laughs> or something yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah and you know Albert would be more um you know right on in certain ways and still oblivious in other ways <laughs> um yeah I mean I think that would have been that would have been really fun and there are certain things in the book where it's like it's not I don't want it to be a completely steady march of progress so like Violet's character is more like ends up exploring the sexuality a lot more in part two and not so much in part three um but you know things like that you do sort of think like oh if you had one that was in 2027 you know they'd probably be um you know thinking about their gender identity or something Mm. so um yeah it would be fun it would be fun to keep on going but um and I guess it would have been easier to write because I would have lived through it so I wouldn't have to (laughs) research but there we go (laughs) so 
do you have a favorite version of Albert and Violet or is that kind of asking you the like a you know <laughs> mother have a favorite child but you know <laughs> yeah it is a bit I'm, I'm very fond of the first two because that is where I started I did write them in order um but I think um I think like there's things in all of them I really love you know I guess I I have affection for the them in part three particularly because a it was nice to not to give too much away but to nudge them towards like growing and learning and across mm -hmm. the whole book across the time periods they get as they get sort of more open with the changing times they also get better at kind of communicating um which I think uh you know is really obviously very crucial in, a, in relationships um and so it's sort of nice to see them you know kind of overcoming some of their difficulties a bit but also I, I, I feel quite grateful to the ones in part three because I wrote it during lockdown um and it was really really nice <laughs> to go deeply into that research and be like oh yeah um you know what was political protest like now or what was a rave like now uh sometimes it was a bit painful because I wish I was dancing in the field <laughs> rather than walking alone in the field but um but it was very very good in that awful weird terrible time to have a different world to go into <laughs> and have these characters that you liked and to spend some more time with them and it was it was I think it was certainly the um most sort of straight through to write because by then I knew them so well um and because I had plenty of spare time <laughs> yeah I was very grateful for them for, for distracting me from the world ending <laughs> so I want to kind of touch on your writing journey and how you got to this point really and I know you're a journalist and you did uh, a course at the Faber Academy in 2016 but what was it that led you to explore writing fiction as opposed to your kind of journalism career mm. I think like most writers have always been a big reader, really, really loved books, loved reading as a kid and just felt like those imaginary worlds were like incredibly real and important and sort of continuing to exist within my brain as off the page, you know, um, and that kind of, I guess what I was just describing of basically living in that other world. <laughs> um, and I suppose... I guess writing is one of those things where if it comes quite naturally to you, it doesn't necessarily feel like a skill. So I don't remember being like, oh, I'm really good at writing as a kid, but I did, I think, write stories and um, always loved, uh, yeah, making stuff up, I suppose. Um, and so I did do some, like, did some writing as a, as a teenager. Um, I just wrote a short story and entered it into, you know, the Bridport, prize mm. I do a young person's one um and then I think it came second might have been third anyway there was a prize thing and then I met a woman who ran at that prize event met a woman who ran young writer magazine and it turned out that was not so far from where I lived um in mid Wales um and so I did some like work experience with them would write for like write little stories and poems and stuff for them um and yeah so I guess that was kind of like rumbling away in the background and then when I was at uni I my me and my friends uh had a short story society that we set up where we write write short stories and drink tea and wine and sit around and read them and give each other feedback um and that was great that was really important to me actually I think it was very like um that you have a lot of time when you're a student studying English. Mm. <laughs> Spent a lot of it getting into writing. 
but perhaps hadn't done that much living at that point. Um, and then like over the next few years, like without that kind of community, didn't really keep it up in the same way. And then I started, got a job as a journalist, which was brilliant, but was writing all day long in a very different manner. And for years, I didn't do any creative writing, I think, because like I was having lots of fun living in London and having lots of fun being a journalist, but also like quite exhausted and overworked and staring at a screen all day. But after a few years, I was like, I really want to get back into this. I really want to give it a go. Um, and <clears throat> at that stage, I was like, I don't know if I have any ability or at this, but I feel like I need to give it a try. And if I enjoy it, brilliant. And if I don't enjoy it, then I'll just stop doing it. And I'll also stop wondering, like, do I have a novel in me? The question that yeah. many people think. Um, and I've been at the Independent and the Independent on Sunday for about five years um, and felt a bit ready for a change. So I went down to being part time there and then sort of part freelance. And as part of that, it was you know designed to make a little bit more space for starting to write. Um, and then the independent went digital only and I was made redundant as a print journalist, but part of, um, the redundancy package was some money for retraining. And I was like, I shall retrain as a novelist. <laughs> and astonishingly, the HR department did not question this very clever business move. <laughs> um, and so gave me like, you know, I mean, it wasn't masters, but it basically covered the, um, Faber Academy year-long um, work in progress course so I took sort of I think I had about 60,000 words um, uh, and and then did that did that course but that wasn't what time is love that was a previous novel yeah I was going to ask you about that yeah. because what was it that made you put that aside and then start what time is love yeah I so that previous book was like the first lines of that were literally the first thing I tried to write since being a student, probably the first thing I'd written other than like maybe a story at Christmas or something for like a decade. Um, And so it was really the book where I was learning if I even wanted to write to start with. And very quickly I was like, definitely, yes, I'm enjoying this massively. Um, But then like just figuring out, you know, voice and character and structure and um, it's, became an extremely long book and then I spent a long time <clears throat> editing it and rewriting it and editing it and rewriting and editing it and rewriting it um and it was really really good to do all that and I think there was some good writing in it and some good characters in it um and it was quite plotty um compared in a way and compared to what time is love but I think basically it would have needed a total rewrite like it, it it was kind of practice I guess mm-hmm. and I think there's you know yeah maybe that's being too negative but I don't know that um where I was at the beginning and where I was at the end there was such a big gap between that that it would have been probably hard to get it all up to um the same standard but I was quite determined I was very determined to finish it which I think was really good it's really useful to finish something and to work on it and edit it I also learned a lot from rewriting and editing um and I wanted to get it to the stage where I could send it to an agent um and I did do that and had a few had a few rejections um 
in the meantime, I'd started writing What Time Is Love because I'd had this idea and I just really wanted to get back to the fun bit of doing the writing rather than constantly tinkering with something that's not quite working or maybe has potential, but you're not sure. Um, I have to say, compared to the first book, compared to writing What Time Is Love, like it, it just flowed so much quicker and easier and sort of more joyfully um, on the second book. So I think it was like absorbing all of those lessons like a big sponge. And then when it came to writing again, it was like, Woof, out it comes. Um, so yeah, really, really valuable. And everything I learned on the Faber Academy course was kind of going into that first novel chapter by chapter. <laughs> and in What Time Is Love, it was like the lessons had been... Um, sort of digested and we're just kind yeah. of in there so is there anything you know now having had your first book published that you wish you'd known way before you started right at the beginning it's a very long journey like I think when I first started I was like oh I love to write <laughs> and then actually you realize that when you put your pen down at the end of the first draft is almost like the beginning of the work and yeah, I think my my lovely editor, Charlotte, was very enthusiastic about um, What Time Is Love and it's sort of, you know, the version that she first read and was like, doesn't need that much work, it's great. And I was like, oh, fabulous. And then when the edits came back, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> so much to do. Um, and all of that work made it, and all that extra thinking and like, what what will I change? What, what doesn't need to be changed? How does this need to be changed? um adding things taking things away re-looking at things all made it a much 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 better book but it was a it was a serious like undertaking and I guess um I think now going into future books I know that first draft really really is just first draft and that's there's, there's lots more to come um so yeah I think that that awareness um I guess I also feel like from being a journalist, I'm very used to getting notes back on stuff, changing things, um, editing things, not being not not being too disheartened by a large amount of red pen. So that was that was helpful. Um, but yeah, I think my advice to to writers is to know that there'll be a lot of um, changes to come, and to trust that they are probably going to make it matters better. <laughs> And finally, are you able to tell us if you are working on anything new at the moment? I am. I am, in fact, at that exciting <laughs> end of a end of a draft stage. It's not quite a first draft. I guess it's like a third draft or something. But um, yeah, I've written. Well, I hope will be the next book. Um, and spent a bit of time working on that and sort of polishing it. And I've sent it to my publishers, but I haven't heard anything back yet. So I'm not going to say much more mm -hmm. just in case they're like, mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's an exciting, slightly nerve wracking time, but, um, feeling, um, pretty, pretty good about the writing itself. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's the most important part. You want to be enjoying yourself while you're writing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And actually, like um, I, I was chatting to my agent recently and he was just like, you know, talking about difficult second novel syndrome. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, like it's been <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Like it has there hasn't been angsting. It's just been like flowing out. So, you know, that is that is really the bit I think that I enjoy the most. And yeah, why you do it um, when it's really exciting finding out what your characters are going to do or what the story is going to be. And being taken by surprise by the ideas that come out of your own head is, is really um yeah it's great <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today holly thank you very much for having me that was great 
That was Holly Williams talking about her historical debut, What Time Is Love, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.